Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there. Welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Not goodly morning, I know. No, no. You know the way we would start a a podcast with a bit of idle chit-chat? Yeah. It's not really appropriate, is it? No. Uh, And I don't think I want to. I I, I need to sort of of examine this or go through this, uh, bounce this whole thing around in my head, because I've written about it this morning, wrote about it on Ars Blog, and uh, I've had to write a piece for ESPN as well. And, you know, I know where I'm... I know where I'm pointing the fingers of blame, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean... When you go to the doctors, they, they don't really bother with much idle chit-chat, do they? They just get straight to the heart of the matter. Yeah, what, what's wrong with you? Why, why do you feel, you know, like this, that, and the other? Yeah, so, okay, let's get to the fucking heart of the matter here. Um, fucking cunting, what a load of bollocky shit that was. That's the heart of the matter, right there. That's the heart of it. You've, what you've done, you've summed it up beautifully there. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 did, I was going to say, I did send you a message last night saying, do we, do we need to do a podcast? Or, there must be an old one we can put out. I think so. You know what? In the midst of all the madness last night, uh, I saw a tweet from somebody. It could have been, I think it was somebody in Canada, I'm not sure, um, who tweeted something along the lines of, listen to last year's podcast after the first game of the season at around the 20 minute mark and i haven't had a chance to go back and listen to that so maybe we could just save ourselves the hassle of all this and and just replay whatever we said last year i don't remember what it was but i imagine what a load of fucking cunty old bollocks that was could have been the the key message as well yeah i think that probably there are certain themes that would resonate this morning yeah i mean uh, oh god i mean it was always possible that we could lose the game i guess but is it the fact that i mean at one point we were 4-1 down at home you know what when that fourth goal went in and i was sitting there i was doing a match report for Ars blog news and i was sitting there with my laptop on the on the on my lap that's normally where you keep a laptop hence sure. hence the name gets very warm yeah and um a few weeks back i was talking to my brother uh, who has a bit of a rage issue when it comes to playing the Monk Smasher, who's a very chill guy, as people heard on the Arsecast on Friday, but when it comes to playing FIFA online, has a bit of a rage issue because, you know, he doesn't like it when he loses or gets beaten or when people do tricks or, you know, that kind of thing. So right. the other week he was playing FIFA and uh, threw his controller on the ground. Now, I would say in his lifetime he's gone through about 40 um PlayStation controllers because right. he has a tendency to just throw them at the wall. Uh, last week he threw one or the other week he threw one and it bounced up off the ground and, and bounced into his telly and smashed the telly so he had to get a, a brand new telly and I was saying to him look you just got just got to chill out just quit just or don't play FIFA when you're quite drunk that kind of thing but when that fourth goal went in yesterday I'm not the, the most demonstrative guy in the world but I, I came very close to just like fucking my laptop across the other side of the room because it was just like what the fuck is actually going on here? I mean, we're 1-0 up, and then you concede that goal, a brilliant goal, brilliant free kick. I don't know. Still, though, I would like my keeper to, you know, save that. But, yeah. you know, just the sheer... Like, I thought it might go badly. I was hopeful it might go well, but I didn't think, like, 4-1 down against Liverpool with, you know, what three goals in 14 minutes. It's just so fucking annoying. Yes, it's it's very annoying. And I think, I mean, the headline on BBC Football right now is Jermaine Genus saying that Arsenal showed character. I think it's always really galling as a fan when you when you lose a game, when, uh, you know, you hear the manager and pundits afterwards talking about the character of the side for the way they came back into it. Because I thought we were lucky to get away with 4-3 in that match, to be honest. What the fuck is he talking about character? You know what's character? Not going 4-1 down. That's exactly. character. You know, sure, we got back into it and we got a couple of goals and, you know, didn't really set ourselves up for a grandstand finish. Nothing much happened in the last 15 minutes. But, you know, character is not 
coming back from 4-1 down to add a sheen of respectability to a shit scoreline. That's not character. Character is going in at halftime 1-0 up and, you know, uh, hanging on to that lead that you actually worked quite hard for and, and played quite well in the first half. That's character. And character is coming out in the second half and reacting, even if you do go in, if you let that goal in an injury time, it's coming out in the second half and redoubling your efforts and, and, and showing that, okay, we conceded a goal at a bad time, but it, it hasn't affected us. But what happened was the, the the goal that we conceded did affect us in a really negative way. It's hard to look at that goal and not draw some correlation between the 14 minutes of mayhem that saw us concede uh, three goals. What are they on about? I don't know. I mean, one thing I was wondering is how much do you think the result has to do with how poor Arsenal were and how much do you think it has to do with how good Liverpool were in your estimation? A little bit of both, obviously. I think Liverpool, the goals that they scored were, were really, really good. The free kick was superb free kick, but, you know... Do you, could your keeper do better there? What do you think about that? Was it just an impossible free kick to save, or was it like that's where he was always going to put it if he was going to hit it right? I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I think it's an excellent free kick. I I, uh, I agree. It is an excellent free kick, but maybe maybe I'm just you know letting my rage. Yeah, I think I think Czech was probably questionable. I, I think it might have been on the was it the second goal or the third goal? His positioning wasn't quite up to scratch for me I think you're always disappointed to be beaten from distance but I, I guess what happens with free kicks like that is you, yeah. you do leave a gap thinking well there's only one place he can put that you know and, and incredibly and then irritatingly Coutinho did put it in that one place yeah. um, second goal I thought was was poor from a defensive point of view from Arsenal they sort of blundered their way through the defence, now Lalana's control and finish was very nice, but I think, you know, defensively you've got to ask questions as to how that move was allowed to, to happen. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, could we have got more of a foot in, um, you know, before that defensively? Could we have done more before that? Could Petr Cech have done more? I think he could have. Yeah, yeah. I think the second and third goals were disappointing because... The way we set up the team, it looked as if Arsenal was really trying to screen that back four. You know, he put El Nani in there, he put Coquelin in there, mm. he left Xhaka and Cazorla out. Um, but they didn't really get the requisite protection of the defence. I mean, considering how weak we were at centre-half, I thought Chambers and Holding were, were pretty exposed. And actually the full-backs, Bellerin and Monreal, who mm. were two of our most consistent players last season, didn't have... Great games by no. any stretch of the imagination. No, the third goal, Monreal was done a bit too easily, wasn't he? By Klein, yeah. you've got to wonder, you know, who was tracking Coutinho. Nobody was tracking Coutinho at all, and it came from a move where Liverpool had pressed us back and, and moved the ball very well. In fairness, they kept possession very well, but you know, let's get a tackle in there. Let's, you know, where where is the bite in our midfield that can help break up this play? Um, fourth goal, again, Monreal, not great, mm. cracking finish. But, you know, it was just it was just pathetic, really. It really was quite pathetic to, to see a team capitulate like that on the first day of the season. Even if we do have issues, you know, uh, I think Arsene Wenger said afterwards, you know, he wouldn't necessarily point to the two central defenders. And I think it would be really harsh to, to point fingers at the two of them. I thought they tried really hard. You know, they worked hard. They battled. They scrapped. They won lots of stuff in the air. But, you know, you're you're talking about a guy, Rob Holding, who's never played a Premier League game before, and Ch- uh, Callum Chambers, who who wasn't trusted by the manager and all of a sudden is being asked to, to partner uh, a young guy. I know the two of them have played together before. You just would think that, let's say we had Koscielny and Mertesacker there or, you know, a more experienced central defensive pair that probably we wouldn't have been exposed in the same way in that in that 14 minute period and that's not to cast any aspersions on those two young center halves i think they were basically thrown under the bus yesterday yeah i think they were i think they were very exposed in every respect and and it's it would be unfair to blame them you know they <laughs> chambers has got a bit more premier league experience but not too much i think he only started two games was it last season in the yeah. premier league so uh, asking him to be the senior partner Seems a bit much. I mean, basically, Arsenal looked what they were, which was a team who weren't ready for the start of the season. So what do you make of that? I mean, we know the record. Uh, we've won one of our opening games in the Premier League in the last seven seasons, right? That, to me, speaks of uh, not just a problem this summer where you can talk about, OK, the European Championships and we've got a couple of injuries. That's a problem that's now been ongoing 
for seven seasons. And the the one game that we did win was Aaron Ramsey scoring uh, against Crystal Palace in the final seconds. And he might have been offside. I can't remember. But, you know, it wasn't in any way convincing. So this speaks to me that there there are issues in terms of our in terms of our preparation. Now, we can touch on the transfer business, uh, you, you know, a little bit later on, because I think that's that's an obvious part of it. But surely another part of it is is whatever the fuck we're doing in training or not doing. Arsene Wenger said that the, the players weren't physically ready to compete. I mean, what, you know, what, what the fuck are you doing? I know, you know, why not? Why aren't the players physically ready? Why isn't the fitness training up to scratch for players to be ready at the start of the season? I don't know. I mean, we're looking at two injuries, aren't we, in the first game alone? Yeah. Uh, R- Ramsey and... Uh... It will be, and I mean that's that's a real disaster. I, I I don't know to be honest because Liverpool had players at the Euros, probably not quite on the same scale, but mm. they looked at the races. Um, did you and see we the? Did not. Did, yeah, did you see the post-match interview with um, Lalana and? I, don't know. I didn't see it. Right. No. Okay. So Lalana said that, that I think he was asked, "What did the what did Jurgen Klopp say to you at half time?" You know, to you know, to spark that kind of performance in the second period, and he said something along the lines. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, um, "Your fitness will allow you to, you know, to get on top of this game." Mm. And I think the stats were that Liverpool's players ran 5k more than Arsenal, so that's like whatever average of 500 yards or 500 meters extra per player. That fitness clearly played a part. So Liverpool have been able to prepare their players uh, to be fit and to be ready for the opening game of the season. And I know that like we've had players who've come back and have had different stages of preparation, but really the first fucking job that you should have is to get the players physically ready, get them fit and ready for the start of a new season. It's why you have your training. It's why you play preseason friendlies, you know, easing into fitness over the course of a month. <sighs> Like, I know some players have to be eased back uh, and uh, and brought back in more slowly. I, I get that. But, like, for the for Liverpool to run more and to be fitter and to be stronger and to be quicker and faster and more up for the game, you know, you can't make excuses. If the team is not physically ready for the start of the season, that is on the manager and on his staff and on his fitness training and on every, everything else. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, and I think what it speaks to, that th- this thing of not being ready, it feels to me like there's almost an attitude of that these games and between the start of the season and the end of the transfer window matter less, as if the points somehow count for less. Yeah, yeah. Which is ludicrous because we end up throwing away points that come the end of the season we'll be grasping for and desperate for. Yeah. And uh, it's really frustrating. I think other clubs are guilty of it as well. It seems a strange attitude, but... You know, that three points we missed out on yesterday could be the difference in something at the end of the season. Probably not in the bloody title race because it doesn't look like we're anywhere near that. <laughs> but, you know, between fourth and fifth or whatever it is. And uh, it's really fucking annoying that they that that we sort of allowed this game to go past in the knowledge almost mm. that we weren't ready. And we could have done so much more. You speak about the fitness of the players, potentially that's an issue. The the transfer market, I think, is undoubtedly an issue. Um, and it just, it's a wasted opportunity. It's a really shit way to start a season because you have this optimism, you have this excitement, you have this hope, whether it's dreadfully misplaced or not. Uh, you know, I can't help it. I'm 40 four years of age and every time a new season starts I'm like filled with it because mm. you, you you're it's a blank slate and anything can happen but for that to be wiped out straight away the way it was yesterday 4-1 down against Liverpool at home like I'm surprised the reaction wasn't even more vociferous you know at 4-1 at four, at down there was a sort of light smattering of booze and yeah. and that was about it and I'm not condoning like riots or anything like that. But, you know, it's not as if the issues haven't been obvious to everybody for the entire summer. Yeah, I think the only reason that the reaction wasn't stronger and more vociferous, as you say, was that fans are probably slightly inured to it now. You know, they it, they probably weren't quite as surprised as they might have been a few years ago. Yeah. Because this does keep happening. And I think an opening day defeat is actually 
particularly painful because as you say there is that sense of optimism there is that sense of a, a blank slate a fresh beginning and then to to tar that straight away with a, a dispiriting result mm. just really sucks the wind out of the start of the season to be honest what did you think uh, of the team selection i mean were you surprised that i mean we we said that he wasn't going to pick Koscielny. jamie redknapp was on sky yesterday talking about how he couldn't understand why Koscielny wasn't picked um, you know, I, I get why he wasn't picked. What I don't get is why, when we've lost two central defenders in the space of a couple of weeks, we still haven't done anything about it in the transfer market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, I was a bit surprised. I was surprised that Granit Xhaka didn't play. I know that Arsene likes to introduce players slowly to the Premier League, but this is a guy coming from the Bundesliga, which is not dramatically different. You know, it's not as if he's coming from Southern Europe. I think that's becoming less and less of a thing anyway as the European leagues kind of meet in the middle to a certain extent. Uh, I thought he would start. Do you think it was an adaptation thing that he didn't start or a, a fitness thing in terms of his ability to play 90 minutes? Could have been a fitness thing. Could have been a fitness thing because he was obviously at the Euros, Cochrane, and now and then he weren't. I also think there was a probably a slight strategic thing of, you know, two players who are kind of more natural ball winners, I guess. I mean, Shaka likes a tackle, but I'm not sure how good at tackling he is. No, not, uh, not very, by the evidence of yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he, he passes like Ozil and tackles like Flamini. But uh, I think... So I was a bit surprised by him. I, in terms of the back four, I can't remember what I said of last week, but when I was thinking about it during the week, I was thinking maybe it'd be wise to play Montreal alongside... Chambers and, mm. and give Gibbs a game, just favour experience, you know, rather than putting people in the correct positions. But I can see why Austin did what he did. Um, I was a little bit surprised as well, the way the attack was comprised. I didn't think we'd see Theo Walcott on the right-hand side. I thought Oxlade-Chamberlain or, or Campbell was more probable. Campbell I not guess, even in the squad. I mean, he must... I wondered, is he carrying some kind of injury? Because to see Akpom in the squad ahead of Campbell, if there's no injury there... Very surprising to mm. me. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of the lineup? It was pretty much as expected, wasn't it? I, I like you, would have thought maybe Monreal over uh, holding probably would have been a reasonable option on the day in terms of uh, adding that experience and solidity, uh, especially if you're not going to be able to play your new £35 million signing. Walcott on the right was a surprise, of course, because um, Walcott, uh, the manager said he doesn't want to pick Theo Walcott there because he's not defensively good enough. Um, mm -hmm. The penalty, you know, he did okay. <sighs> he made up for the penalty miss. It was a poor penalty, made up for the penalty miss. But really in the second half... When things had gone wrong, I, Theo Walcott was nowhere to be seen. And and that's the issue that uh, I think we have with him, that that happens far too often. Um, and he had to keep him on because he's a player who can get you a goal. Um, but, you know, on days like on days like yesterday, doesn't I thought Alex Iwobi was quite poor as well. Uh, he looked off the pace, didn't look quite know what he was supposed to be doing. And Alexis Sanchez, as a striker, as a lone striker, again, you know, he looked uncomfortable there, I thought. Yeah, it certainly wasn't a successful uh, audition for the role. I mean, if he is going to play there and play there more frequently, it looks as if it's going to take some time, right, for him to bed in in that yeah, position. Yeah, Which is, again, uh, another reason that we seem a little undercooked, a little underprepared, because yeah. there are literally players kind of learning the ropes in new roles. <sighs> It's just cheery stuff. And, and I think what made it particularly mm, sort of painful for me to watch, really, is although Liverpool had their problems, I mean, their defending is not great, their goalkeeper is a bit of a disaster, I think, Mignolet. And Moreno, let's not forget that Liverpool, you know, for all the complaints about our defence, Liverpool have got an actual fucking idiot at yeah. left back. Like a yeah. real-life fucking top-grade moron at left back. And, you know, they managed to hold it together a bit. But I think uh, inevitably it's sort of when you watch a team play, they played with some real attacking verve, I thought, and a kind of excitement and a, a pace to their attacking play that really, over the last 18 months, Arsenal haven't produced frequently enough. Mm. Um, and also just to, to come away from the first day with a, a big landmark victory like that is a huge boost to them. And you could sense a bit of the excitement around 
around the club and around the team about what they might go on to do. Whereas with Arsenal, it feels like we're left picking up the pieces. Firefighting again. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it, look, if you win your opening game, or if we'd won yesterday, it doesn't alter what we have to do or what we need to do to make the squad as strong as it should be to compete for the Premier League. We still need a central defender. We still need a forward, a striker. We need those players, and we need them badly. But if you win, of course, then it gives you a bit of uh, wiggle room or you're in a sort of a comfort zone. But when you don't win, what it does is it it obviously has uh, affected the atmosphere, affected yeah. what people think of the, the, the squad, um, and I wonder what it's done for confidence. I wonder how, let's say, Rob Holding and Callum Chambers are feeling, um, you know, having been part of a defence that, 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 that conceded four goals, Holding on his debut. I mean, that's a debut to forget for him. You know, despite the fact I thought, in general, he did pretty okay for a, for a 20-year-old making his, his first Premier League start. You know, the, the damage that a result like that can do to the psyche, to the confidence, to everything else, is, is just... It's it's really terrible, and I think, you know, if we're if we're gonna, we can criticize the squad, or we can look at the players and say this guy's not good enough, or we need to improve here, there, and everywhere. But I don't know how Arsene Wenger expects to get the best out of the players that he has when he he, he damages the morale of the team by sending them out underprepared and under strength, essentially. Mm. I, I mean, there is there is sort of almost. I mean, I don't want to make the podcast redundant, but there is almost nothing to add to that, really. Mm. I mean, it's kind of, you know, that's <laughs> that sums it up. Well, what did you think of his comments where he spoke, uh, um, where he said, look, you know, if, if you want to keep everybody happy, you go out and buy 20 players, and then six months later, you're back to reality. New is just new. That's what he said. Mm. I mean, that's <laughs> that's sort of a, a quite a remarkable turn of phrase, and it's sort of... It, New is not just new. I think that's the. I think that's what we've learned at yeah. Arsenal. Sometimes, sometimes new is good. New is change, and change is helpful if you're not happy with where you are. Mm. And uh, I don't think Arsenal's got a nasty habit of like kind of being quite reductive about these arguments and saying that. Well, if you want me to go and spend a hundred million pounds on one player, you know I can do, or I can bring in twenty players. But that's not what people are asking for. Yeah, it's a gigantic straw man. That that's yeah. not what anybody said. Nobody said he should go and buy 20 players. People said you should buy two. Buy yeah. a centre-half and buy a striker. Put your squad in the best shape that it can possibly be. And the thing is, like, you know, I do see some of the point that, you know, new is just new. Okay, unless it really adds something to your team, blah, blah, blah. But when old hasn't performed or when old performs in the same way season after season after season, there comes a point where new is not just new, new is is necessary. I mean, old is just old. That's you know? it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. Old is just old. And I think from a fan's point of view, um, at the end of the day, we want to be engaged in, in the story of the club. We want to have an exciting season. And old is just watching the same thing unfold again and again. You know, I think at least, I think new faces... Mm obviously are an exciting thing for fans. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily if it improves the atmosphere around the club. Of course. And it's good for the players as well because the players then feel like they're in a squad that can genuinely compete. And uh, You know, I made the point on the blog the other day that, okay, let's say you bring in a, a top-class striker. You know, Giroud, uh, for all his faults, has pretty much always said that he would have no problem with another striker coming in because it's good for the squad and it increases competition between the, mm -hmm. between the players. That if you have somebody who can drive you on to be better and to, to play better and to improve your level, then that's a really positive thing, not just because you've brought in a better player, because it's improving the players that you have. And if the players who aren't up to that challenge, who shirk away from it, who think, okay, well, it's too difficult now, and to go elsewhere well there's a guy that you don't necessarily want in your squad anyway you know exactly i mean players like fans are human beings they also have their own perception of the club uh, that affects their morale that affects what they believe they can achieve in the season and you know that i think they're vulnerable to the same concerns as us so mm. i think new signings a new broom to a certain extent a new approach is going to affect them positively as much as it would the supporters mm. so i yeah, look, I, I, my overriding feeling is that Arsenal's recruitment this summer, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but has been 
not really good enough. You know, I, I think it was so clear that there were gaps in the squad. We all spoke about this being Arsene Wenger's last season, about his desire and his need, really, to go big, to kind of loosen the purse strings, to make sure he did the requisite work on the team to put them in the right position for the start of the season. We haven't done that. We can still do it before the end of the window, but the fact that we failed to get so many of those deals over the line, I think is is really poor showing, really. Yeah. I mean, you spoke about your brother earlier. My brother sent me a text yesterday, and he's not an Arsenal fan, saying it feels like a bit like Arsenal went to sleep at the end of May and woke up and just realised it's the start of the season. And obviously things have been going on in the background, but if you think about when the Shaka deal was done, I think it was in May. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the end of May when he signed, yeah. You know, and... and Vardy, the bid was accepted. Well, the release clause was triggered early June. We probably knew relatively swiftly that wasn't going ahead for, for an alternative to have not been secured and for the situation with the centre backs, given when Mertzaka was, was injured, to have not been fixed. Mm. Crazy neglectful. It is. It's absolutely outrageous when you think about it. And I know we're dealing within the prism of football here, okay? I don't want, you know, there are th- worse things happen at sea and there are terrible things that happen in the world. But, when, you know, we're dealing uh, in this very specific context about Arsenal and about what we've done. But, you know, ultimately, you're right to point to the Jamie Vardy thing because it was early June. Now, are we supposed to believe that between, what, the second week of June and the opening day of the season, which is over two months, that Arsenal football club with all the resources all the scouts and everything else available to them could not find a striker of similar caliber to Jamie Vardy if we were prepared to buy a Jamie Vardy surely there is another player in England or in Europe who could fit that bill so if we can't get Vardy let's get that one mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. two months two and a bit months you you go after a player in June it shows that you really want the player it shows that you've uh, identified a weakness in your squad that has to be addressed, and then you sit on your hands for two months. It's bullshit. After the Mertesacker injury, Arsenal should have bought a centre-half that week. They should have been in the market that week because it was too big a risk with Koscielny coming back late, two rookie centre-halves, and Gabriel. So Gabriel gets injured on the, uh, you know, the, the week before the season starts, and you've done nothing. So you compound the error of not buying a centre-half after Mertesacker got injured, and it's you leave yourself in ramshackle shape at centre-half. You know, a key, key part of of uh, of any team. And, and it's just, it's, it's rubbish. It's absolutely rubbish. It's, you know, and I think it all comes down to, to Arsene Wenger. It really does, because he calls the shots 100% when it comes to transfers, when it comes to player recruitment, when it comes to spending the money, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's on him. He's the one that ultimately has to make the decision about who it is that he wants to bring into the team. And then at some point, we know that the you know there's been a little more leeway from the club in terms of getting the players in. If they have to pay a little bit extra, they're prepared to do that now. But unless he identifies the players and says, I want this player then there's nothing anybody can do. There's nothing Ivan Gazidis can do. There's nothing Stan Kroenke can do. Well, Stan Kroenke doesn't give a fuck one way or the other. I don't know even why I'm bringing him into this. But but in 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 terms of recruitment, unless Wenger makes the decision and says, this is the player that I want, let's get him, and I'm not going to change my mind, as he has done in the past, and said, oh, yeah, I want that player, and then, oh, no, no, I've changed my mind. Let's Let's not which has happened a number of times over the last couple of years. But unless he, he makes that definitive decision, we can't do anything. And it feels to me like he hasn't made that decision when it comes to a centre-half. That's why we keep here, we hear about Mustafi, then you hear about uh, Johnny Evans. It's like he, he can't make up his mind which player he wants. And until such time as he makes up his mind, Arsenal are without the players that they need because nobody else can do anything about it. Well, that's it. Why do you think, say... That, I mean, I'm just reading a piece from Sport Witness saying that there's a story in Marker this morning saying that Valencia are sort of confused and still waiting for a, another Mustafi bid. They don't really know what's going on. Do, why do you think that deals like that, where it seems the player has been identified as the primary target, are taking so long to, to go through? I, uh, look, I Is don't it know. Is haggling? Or? I don't know if it's haggling. I don't know if it's indecision on the manager's part. 
mm. whether he feels like, oh, well, look, I am going to get Gabriel back in six weeks. And, you know, then we've got Gabriel and Koscielny. And Koscielny could be playing in a couple of weeks. So maybe Koscielny, and the, you know, oh, do I really want to? And then what happens when, what happens when Mertesacker comes back in January and I've got, I've got Mustafi and I've got Koscielny and I've got Gabriel and Mertesacker and Mertesacker won't play. Is that fi- is that fair on Mertesacker? Is that mm. yeah? And then Chambers, what happens? And I bought Rob Holding. I like him. He's a good young player. I want hi- want him to play. Will I have too many players? You know, I-, I think that's what it is. I just think it's this like, just this indecision about the best way to to build this squad. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't, as I said in the blog this morning, I don't get why we haven't done the very obvious things because to you and me and to everybody listening and uh, to, to most Arsenal fans, it seems very obvious that the squad is light. The squad is short. And the way to remedy that is to, is to buy players. That's how you fix that problem. Why we haven't done it or why we've chosen not to do it to this point. Your guess is as good as mine. It's pretty. Uh, it winds me up when Alston Vega says that thing he says about, well, we're not specifically looking for a central half. We're not specifically looking for a central striker. We're kind of looking for any quality that can improve the squad because it's clear from the way we've gone about our activity that we are looking for those positions. And it's clear looking at the team that we do need those positions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like uh, denying it seems absurd. Yeah, you're not giving away fucking trade secrets, are you? No, oh, exactly. Arsenal need a centre half. Whew, nobody could have figured that out. Fucking hell! Uh, it's and you know you're talking about the two extremes of the pitch. You're talking about the spine of the team. To have not done it uh, is unacceptable. Really, really poor, really poor, and really disappointing. And there are there is no real excuse. Like the the excuse people offer is, well, you might get a better deal in the last week of the window. But we could have dropped. Nine points by then. Yeah, exactly. Does a great deal get you back to fucking three points you lost on the opening day of the season? It doesn't. Like this idea that that somehow we should be, we've, we've got to be looking for a bargain. We've got to, you know, get the best deal possible. We've got to play the game where, you know, negotiators doing poker. Just fucking stop it. We've got the money. We don't, we're not poor. We've got millions and millions and millions of pounds in the bank. And nobody's saying go out and spend every penny the club has, but spend what we can afford to spend. And what we can afford to spend is a lot more than we've spent till now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, you know, no one else is playing that game. No one else is playing that game anymore. So I'm not sure we can afford to, ironically. We can't afford to to Mm. play that bullshit poker game. Yeah. Yeah. So look, anything else from the opening day that... um caught your eye or you want to talk about thrash uh, it out here I'm just trying to think I mean my mind's been kind of filled with fury about the Arsenal match um, I mean not, not particularly I mean we just having a look at the league table we're 15th <laughs> <laughs> no it doesn't mean too much at this stage fortunately uh, I suppose Leicester lost didn't they the champions they did to 13 man Hull City Hull who only had 13 players yeah Quite incredible. Uh, over in France, Alexandre Lacazette scored a hat trick. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, good for him. Good for good, him. Good um, for Leon. That'll put another ten million euros on his potential price tag and mm. rule him out even further. Not that I think we're that interested in him anyway, but you know. no, surely not. Uh, surely, well, you hope. I sort of hope we're not because if we're not and we haven't pursued it further, that's frustrating in its own way. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, not not, not massive. To, the actual opening day, the Saturday, the results weren't particularly thrilling, were they? There no. was a few one-all draws around. Yeah, it was all a bit boring. I was watching uh, Man City in the evening. I was like, oh, this is like boring stuff. They got away with it a bit, didn't they, with a late, a late own goal yeah. uh, to win Manchester United, beat Bournemouth fairly handily. Yesterday, Bournemouth didn't look great. Um, apart from that, it's... Uh, I mean... Yeah, City had all, you know, their, all their fullbacks in midfield and what have you, mm. um, and not because of an injury crisis. Unusually, <laughs> you know, it's just de- deliberately. So that you, must be a novelty. Yeah. Did you watch match of the day with Gary? Mm. Gary in his pants. Yeah. I uh, I didn't watch it live. I watched it on a tape, but I I watched it in my pants too, in solidarity. <laughs> uh, well, there's an image for it, us all. It, 
Yeah, I mean, if Arsenal win the league this season, I will do my uh, my post match video completely naked, pants free. I, I, that's a guarantee for you. Well, thank you. I mean, this clearly is what is going to turn things around and help us win the league. There we go. Well, let's see. I'll put that on the line. I'm very, I'm very prepared to take that risk. All right. Okay. Well, your your nudity will be our success. Uh, yeah, hopefully. We've just got another what eight or nine months to wait before we can uh, we can see you in all your glory. So. Start the hype now. <laughs> all right. Look, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with part two and your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog, and at Arsblog. So, mm. Cheerful reading for us this morning. Indeed. Uh, big shout out to about the 50 people who just wanted to ask, why? So yeah. uh, the answer to that is uh, very complicated. I think we've uh, gone over some of it in the in the uh, the first part of the show. But look, here's the first question. Comes from James Mason at JD Mason 8 who wants to know, how painful was yesterday? One, stepping on a plug. Two, bollock caught in a zip. Three, needle through the helmet. Ooh. What was, what was number two again? Number one was stepping on a plug. Number two? Bollock caught in a zip. I think it was pluggy. If I'm honest with you, that's yeah. a very particularly pronounced and acute pain. Mm. I, funnily enough, I was in pain yesterday. You'll be surprised to to learn. Oh, really? Yeah, on two counts. Number one, I was in, I was back in the west coast of Scotland yesterday, and I've been bitten by all the midges again. The damned midges have eaten my legs. Uh, they're wasting away now. Uh, but <laughs> so that was irritating enough uh, in every respect. And then the other night when I was drunk, I let a friend of mine punch me, and I hang on. Th- what? <laughs> Hang on. Go on, go on. Let me just... They they said, can I punch you? And I said, okay. That doesn't sound like a very good friend. I know, but they've punched me in the chest and it and it, it still hurts quite a lot. So I think I've bruised my ribs or I've done something. So I was in a lot of pain already. And I think watching the game yesterday made it feel like someone... Not only was I stepping on plugs, I was like running across a floor made entirely of upturned p- plugs. And then when you get off the plugs, it's a load of uh, Lego pieces. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, that would be... That was how it felt to me. Uh, it was it was, it was, was kind of agonising, and then it reached that point where at 4-1, it was kind of... I wasn't in laptop-throwing mood at that mm. stage. I was in sort of disbelief and, uh, you know... It's that stage where it's almost laughable, you know? Almost, yeah. You could laugh if you, you, could if laugh. you wanted to. But instead, you're just crying. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would have to say probably the stepping on a plug for me. Bollock caught in a zip would be would have to be worse. It would have to be that would be basically losing the league title to Tottenham on the final day uh, in the final minute of injury time. That would be bollock caught in a zip because that's a really, really painful thing to do. And as for a needle through the helmet, uh, that's just for weirdos. Why would anyone do that? I think, yeah, what you've described would be a bit like falling falling with your helmet on a plug. (laughs) (laughs) Falling onto a plug from a height. Uh, Helmet first. Helmet first. That's the kind of pain I'm imagining. But we might look, the way things are going... We might reach those heights before the season is out. Yes. Hey, there's a long way to go. 37 more games for us to get our bollocks caught in a zip or fall helmet first onto a plug uh, with a needle in it as well. Yes, exactly. Um, Let's have another question. This is from Nick Howell at Nick4768 on Twitter. I've already mentioned some of Jermaine Genius's comments, but he asks, what do you make of Genius's comments that we as fans have created a negative atmosphere over the last few years, and it is now being detrimental to the team. It's a difficult one, though. I think it's sort of chicken and egg, isn't it? It is It is a little bit. Um, but, you know, I would go with what Arsene Wenger says whenever this uh, topic is raised. He will say that it's up to the players to perform to a level that energizes the crowd and I know there's that you know I don't think anybody wants to be 
negative or toxic, really. I know there are some. There's always some. You know, if you go to a game, you could be sat behind somebody who's, you know, giving the players stick for 90 minutes. And, you know, even our best teams, there were people in the stands who, oh, you're fucking useless, this, that, and the other. That's just their natural default position. But I think it's so pervasive now that it's it's more a reaction to the same familiar failings than just uh, a group of people who are determined to be negative to create a a negative atmosphere, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, You know, I think in a way at this point, it's an excuse to suggest that it's the fault of the fans in some way that the team hasn't performed to the level required, I think overlooks all the other factors that are involved, the quality of the players, the quality of the recruitment, the tactics, the team selections, the way that the team is set up. So I think it's, you know, I don't think it's fair. You know, I don't think anybody likes a negative atmosphere. Um, You know, you want to be behind the team. Uh, I think for the most part, most people are behind the team and try and encourage the team on. But when the team fails in the same way over and over and over again, you know, what, what do you do? So I, I don't, I don't buy into that at all. No, I think the responsibility largely lies with the team, right? Mm. To, to try and, uh, <laughs> you know, G the fans up. I think the problem is that there are so many traumas now that exist between the supporters and the side that, when things go a certain way, fans, understandably, it's kind of a... There's almost sort of like learnt responses now. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we, mm-hmm. we're in, It's ingrained in us. We've seen this happen so many times. So, And each time it does happen, the frustration mounts. So there is a bit of a negative atmosphere around the club. But I think expecting the supporters to be the ones who walk in and completely transform that is a little bit unfair. It is absolutely in the club's hands to to do something about that, though. Yeah. Because what creates excitement? I'm not don't, don't want to keep harping back on transfers, but if people went into that game yesterday thinking that Arsenal had done what was necessary in the transfer market, right? They'd gone and bought a striker, they'd gone and bought a central defender. If people thought that the club had done everything they could to prepare properly for that first game, they would be a lot more understanding about losing. Because I think you can accept losing if you give your absolute best or if you're in the best shape possible for a game. Look, it's football, it's sport, you can lose. Everybody understands that. It's the feeling that we haven't done as much as we can that feeds into this negative uh, negative atmosphere. The mm. club could transform it or could have transformed it this summer by doing the right business. Because like it or not, transfers, people are into them because... Uh, they are new as new and old as old and everything else. But ultimately, when you buy a player, you feel like it's somebody that can improve your team. You feel like it shows the club is is showing ambition. You feel like there's a commitment or uh, a desire to improve things and make things better. But when you don't do anything, despite the fact everyone knows that you need to, then it's no wonder people get fucking crazy. They're kind of at the end of their tether to a, to an extent. Um, and ultimately, it comes back to what the club does for me. You know, on the pitch and off the pitch. They're the ones who can master it. They are. They are. And they sort of, <laughs> they really haven't done this mm. summer. Uh, and we saw, I guess, some of the concerts yesterday. Although, like you, I was actually a little surprised that the reaction from the supporters wasn't greater. Mm. You know, I, I thought, if you told me oh, at some stage on the opening day, Arsenal would be 4-1 down to Liverpool... I don't know what I would have envisaged, but I think it would have been a significantly less tame than what we saw yesterday. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, here's one from uh, Connor Whelan. Um, and we touched on it briefly. And he mentions that in the past, Arsenal went to Austria for preseason training. So they're there for, at a training camp for 10 days, two weeks, you know, doing all the fitness work. Uh, and uh, now the team go on these jaunts all around the world. So surely you can't do as much training because there's flights, there's commercial appearances, etc., etc. Do you think that that has an impact on the readiness for the start of the season? Or is that just, is that just an excuse? What do you reckon? Well, I mean... Uh... It's difficult to assess at this stage because we don't. It's too early to know how other teams will fare. But what you can say is that most of the other big clubs have endured similar summer schedules. You know, they've all been all over the place, really. And uh, if other teams cope with that and manage fine, then that would suggest it's not a huge problem. 
I am a little surprised the way that Arsene Wenger succeeded to it. I, he was always very insistent, wasn't he, about his training camps? But yeah. I think he he recognises the need for I mean, it's a horrible turn of phrase, but I guess kind of brand expansion in these ugh, new markets. Um, oh God, I feel ill saying. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, I I don't know. Maybe it does have an effect. I mean, I feel like we used to start better. Is that fair? I mean, I haven't got the stats to back that up. Yeah. I think we probably did. Um, you know, I, I think Wenger was resistant to these tours for a very good reason. Because what they are are exercises in, in marketing and, and uh, they're, they're great for the commercial side of the club. And also great, I don't think we should overlook, it's great for the fans of the team in parts of the world uh, to, to get to see the, uh, the, the club play. So mm. like in the States, we know there's so many uh, Arsenal fans out in the States who, who would have had a ball going to the games in San Jose uh, and Los Angeles. Similarly, when Arsenal go to the Far East, you know, the, the enthusiasm of the fans all around the world is fantastic. And I think it's great for fans to be able to see the team who wouldn't normally be able to or who couldn't realistically travel to London uh, to see a game at the Emirates. I think that part of it is obviously great. But I don't think it's ideal when it comes to preparing for a new season. I know that uh, these days, you know, particularly now that we're sponsored by Emirates, you know, the, the, the players aren't, uh, you know, in coach class. They're not like sitting with their knees up against the back of the chair like a fucking Ryanair flight. You know, they've got these uh, luxurious planes to go on and, and that helps to a certain extent. But I don't think the travel, the jet lag, the time differences, all that kind of stuff... I don't think it is ideal preparation for a new season. I think if you gave Arsene Wenger the choice tomorrow, do you want to do this, that, and the other, and here, there, or or there? Or do you want to go to this idyllic Austrian training camp in the Alps where you can do your two sessions a day, you've got all the players together, it's a good atmosphere, you know, you play a couple of training games, he'd choose the latter every single time. And I'm not trying to make any excuses. I think the fact that we haven't been able to adapt is down to the way that we, um, you know, coach the players and the fitness coaching and everything else. I think it's been up to the manager and his coaching staff to adapt to that properly, but I don't think it's the ideal way of going about it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But uh, to my point earlier, at least most of our rivals are in a similar boat, you know, so it's not something that's unique to us now. Um, so hopefully any repercussions to that kind of touring uh, will be at least mm. shared among some of the other top sides. Yeah. Uh, is it my question? It is. Incredible. In genuinely incredible, isn't it, how I can't keep track of that? Every, yeah, every week. Uh, every week, every week. Um, let me have a look and find something good. Okay, well, this is a simple one. It's from Aaron Prakash. We haven't really done predictions yet, but he says, would you guys bet on Arsenal finishing in the top four once again? I would, yeah, because Arsene Wenger has done it so often and so consistently. It's like it's just what he does. Um, mm -hmm. I know we're frustrated, and yesterday was obviously far from ideal, but making the big if, you know, we sign a centre-half and if we sign a striker, you know, this is a squad with good players. Um, you know, we do have good players and, and potentially some really excellent players. So, yeah, I wouldn't bet against it, to be perfectly honest. I think it's going to be more difficult than ever because of the... Um, because of the increased competition in the Premier League. I think it's going to be more challenging, but I don't think it's beyond our reach, as frustrated and as unhappy as we are. So, yeah, no, I wouldn't bet against that. I don't think it's beyond our reach, but I, I do think it's going to be really tricky this year, simply because of the number of teams who are capable of doing it. You know, if you think about, you've got the two Manchester clubs. Obviously, we don't know how the new managers will settle, mm. but then they've got big resources. They've spent big money on players, so they should be in a stronger position. Uh, Chelsea, of course, will be looking to get back in there. Yeah, Liverpool, yesterday we saw they could be a contender. And then you've got Spurs to consider as well. I think uh, I think it could be an, a, a very interesting season in terms of that battle for the top four. And certainly I think that's more, if I had to call it at this stage, I feel like that's more where we'll be contesting things than right at the very pinnacle. But I would dearly love to be wrong mm, okay Here, here's a question from dan sanderson at dan tai wang who says if a mechanism existed that allowed clubs to transfer players for financial cost would you like arsenal to try it 
<laughs> it would be intriguing, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be an intriguing idea. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm open to experiments, so yeah. why not? You know. But then it sounds good, but isn't new just new? Yeah, you know, new's uh, just new. Yeah. New's just new. I'm yeah, not exactly. sure. Yeah. Uh, let's just keep doing it the old way. <laughs> Here's one though from Richard Franklin, who wants to know how frustrated are you with the amount of players who appear to be being given another season at the club? Going back to our new is new, and of course, old being old. And I guess he's talking about uh, you know people like Theo Walker. To Alex Oxley Chamberlain, etc., etc. Is that a frustration for you that we haven't uh, we haven't been a bit more ruthless there? Listen, I, I think we had a conversation towards the back end of last season where we were talking about what Arsene Wenger could do to win back the faith of the fans, and I think something we both said was it was as much about being ruthless with the players on the in the current squad as it was about bringing others in. You know, there were a lot of players who've underachieved. Mm. over a long period of time. You mentioned some of the names there, Walcott, Oxley, Chamberlain, I guess Wilshire to an extent. Um, and there are plenty more. We haven't really seen that at all. Arsenal have so failed to bring players in that they've not really been able to let anybody go. Mm. And imagine if you'd said to someone at, at the end of the last season, no, Theo Walcott will start the first game of next season. And further to that, he'll start on the right-hand side, having insisted all of last season that he was a striker. I think you would have been staggered by that. Mm. Um, and obviously he scored yesterday and, you know, he deserves credit for that. But I do think if better players probably are out there on the market and we haven't brought them in, Wenger's kept very stable with the squad. I'm very surprised how many players are still here. Yeah, I thought we'd lose... Five or six, probably. Yeah. Do you think... Uh, this is not a question from anyone in particular, but do you think that... What happened yesterday against Liverpool will, in some way, force their hand in terms of transfers. Do you think it has to, or or, or will he be as intransigent as he has been up to now? I mean, I certainly felt, I remember in 2013 when we lost to Villa on the opening day. I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll never know, but... We'll never quite know if Arsenal would have got that Mesut Ozil deal over the line had they had they not been under such pressure to do so. You know, after mm. the, after the after that particular game. I mean, our next two matches in August are both away from home. One at Leicester City, one at Watford. I mean, if those go the wrong way, the pressure will become intolerable, really. Mm. And I think, yes, I actually expect the result to have an impact. I, I feel like there'll be pressure from the likes of Gazidis to go out and do something to make some kind of statement to appease the supporters to an extent. But as you've said yourself, that pressure's all well and good. The decision rests with one man. Mm. And he's a very stubborn man. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, do you think it will make a difference? I think it increases the pressure, certainly. Um, and I've kind of always felt that we would do something before the end of the window. It's just, you know, I never quite understood why we didn't do it before that. So I, you're always going to have that bit in the back of your head now, aren't you, that says the reason they made these signings isn't because necessarily they wanted them. It's because, you know, people have gone people have gone mad. But in fairness, they have said all through the summer that, you know, they want a striker and they want a, a defender. So they're on the lookout for, for these players. But, you know, until words are put into actions, it's, it's difficult to know. But, yeah, it certainly increases the, the pressure on them to do something. Yeah, and I'm less bothered, really, about why they do it. I just... I just want them to do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Um, okay, this one comes from Alex Wood, who's at uh, Luca Japines. I really didn't know how to pronounce that, but Alex Wood I can do. Uh, and he says, if you had to come up with a new nickname for Arsenal to replace the Gunners, what would it be and why? The Plug Steppers? <laughs> the Plug Steppers. <laughs> the, gun- the Gunners in the f- feet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... God, there's a really good question, isn't it? Um, yeah. The familiars? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Jesus. The groundhogs. <laughs> yeah, the groundhogs. That's it. That's it. The groundhogs. Absolutely. The amount of Groundhog Day gifts that were going around yesterday. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The groundhogs. The, the Punxsutawney Peets. Yeah. That would be a good one. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think I think I like that one. Um, okay, cool. The Vincibles. 
the Invincibles. Oh, God, mm. that makes me shudder. Yeah. Uh, all right, here's one from John McGann, at John McGann, and he says, whatever about the need for reinforcements, is it fair to say he's not even getting the best out of the squad that he has? Well, I think certainly yesterday... Uh, that's the case. And there are factors in that. We've talked about fitness. We've talked about tactics. Uh, but yes, I think so. I think that Arsenal don't... Arsenal haven't, uh, in the last sort of six months to a year, looked like a particularly hungry team. Uh, they haven't looked as motivated as they have done at other times in Arsene Wenger's reign. Mm. I feel like morale around the side itself is is at a low. And I guess that's his responsibility. So... I think he could be getting more, but that wouldn't solve the fact that we still don't have centre-backs, that we still don't really have a centre-forward. So I think improving the team, improving the team by bringing players in still seems to me to be the most obvious fix. All right. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's true that the the team, like last season in particular, it was very difficult to discern what Arsenal's style of play was, and that's not something that you would associate with Arsene Wenger, that you've always, even when things weren't going particularly well, you could see what kind of football he wanted to play and how he wanted to play it with the players that he had. And last season was really confused, and it was difficult to try and figure out what he wanted to do with the team. And I think on the evidence of yesterday, and I know it's only one game, I'm a little, still a little unsure of, of exactly how he wants his team to, teams to play and how does he want them to attack? What is our attacking strategy? What is the way that he wants his wide players to perform, for example? I think Iwobi and Walcott yesterday were individualists in a way. They didn't look like they were playing in any particular system, did they? You know, it was like, oh, I've got the ball, I'll try and do something with it now. Uh, Alexis, very much isolated. Where was the support for him? So I, I don't know um, w- what we're trying to do, and I think that's a, I think that's a really fair point. Um, okay, let's have a look at this. So this one, it comes from at Goonza1985, and I'll be interested to see what you say to this. He asks, if you had the opportunity uh, and you were in the post-match press conference yesterday and you had one question that you could ask Arsene, what is it you would ask? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Falling to your knees. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd want to know why... I mean, it's the obvious question. If if we pursued Jamie Vardy and if we know we need a centre-half, why has nothing been done before the first game of the season? Particularly when he constantly talks about how he would like the transfer window to be closed uh, by the first day of the yeah, season. so interesting. Why doesn't he impose that restriction upon himself. I know there are market vagaries and, you know, you're a bit of a slave to the market in some respects. I do understand that. But why doesn't he do everything he can to get his squad fully sorted before the first game of the season so they can be, you know, prepared, players can be settled, There's, uh, you know, that cohesion thing that he likes? That would be what I would want to know. I think that's, I think that's, that is the big question really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Would you? Is there anything different that you go for? Um, where's Joel Campbell? <laughs> <laughs> why Any do you idea? hate? Why do you hate Joel Campbell? What, what did Joel Campbell ever do to What's you? Done to you, Arsene? Jesus. Yeah, I mean that that would be a, a valid a valid question. I don't know what else I'd ask him. I think it would have to be about about transfers, really, about why why they haven't taken place, mm. but. He'd only fudge the answer, right? Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's the thing. That's the thing. You get one of those answers. But maybe we, you know, if we could do that, maybe we could get an absolutely brutally honest uh, answer from Arsene Wenger. So who knows? Who knows? That'd be lovely. All right, couple here. uh, One from Tom Archuli, I think it is at Tom Archuli or Arciuli, who wants to know any positives at all. Ox and Sandy's cameo, our early pressing worked well, then we ran out of gas, and East Lower at East Lower wants to know your top three positives from Sunday. Well, guys, I'll tell you the positive. Look at the scorers. Chambers, Walcott, Oxlade Chamberlain. The English core is back. <laughs> 
We thought it had fallen by the wayside, but the English core, guys. That's it. They've underachieved for years and are basically rubbish, but the English core. Um, (laughs) Positives. I mean, positives, I guess Oxlade-Chamberlain was a positive, right? Like, he came off the bench. He So, I think I'm right in saying that Mane scored that excellent goal and Oxlade-Chamberlain literally saw it and thought, well, all right, I'll have a crack at that. And uh, went on a a sort of weaving run. Got a bit lucky with the finish, to Mm. be fair. But, you know, what are we asking for from him this season? We're asking for more end product. We're asking for him to be more direct. A bit more of that. Yeah, a bit more of that. Yeah. So that was a good start, a step in the right direction for him. Um, Other positives? Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, good luck. I'm not even going to fucking... I'm not going there. I can't... I mean... I can't think of any, genuinely. No. Uh, no. No. I can't, I can't think of any. Cockerland didn't get sent off. That was good. After he got a yellow card, that was, yeah. that was quite good. Surprising That's good, in some respects. positive, I suppose. Shaka didn't get sent off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wait for it, though. Yeah, yeah, that's not far away. Um, no. Sorry. I think I'm out. Yeah. I, too, am out. Uh, am I being unfair? I can't think of anything. Um, I mean the negatives I just keep getting the negatives in my mind I mean, yeah. aside from the result I'm obviously very concerned about the injuries I mean Aaron Ramsey what are Aaron Ham- Ramsey's hamstrings made of? cheese strings yeah basically Aaron Hamstring I called him then I mean I might have called him <laughs> that from now on <laughs> um, yeah I mean look Arsene Wenger said that's what happens when you bring back a player too early from the uh, European Championships, as if Aaron Ramsey if doesn't been... have a huge history of like dodgy hamstrings. That's it. I mean, I do think it's a bit of a special case, isn't it? His hamstrings are forever yeah. twanging or yeah. exploding or tearing asunder. Yeah. Um, but still, having been one of the most impressive players of the Euros, to lose him in the very first game of the season. Yeah. Bit of a nightmare, really. Tis a bit. Tears a bit. So, yeah, there's uh, there's the positives. There's a, yeah, they're the positives. Yeah. They're the positives, yeah. All right. Um, do you have any more or will I? Uh, uh, I might do. Let's have a look. Uh, I mean, it won't be cheerful, I should warn you. Okay. Well, we've gone down uh, this rabbit hole, so we might as well stay here. We've come this far, haven't we? Fuck you, rabbits. Uh, how should we be concerned? This comes from... They've pronounced... Hang on, they've pronounced... Um, They've provided instructions to how to pronounce their name. Jairo Jaramejo. Very good. Th- thank you. They ask, uh, should we be concerned that Monreal was roasted twice yesterday for two goals? Has Mr. Consistent suddenly become Mr. Old? I think we can be concerned about it, but we can't say necessarily whether he's become too old. He could just have had a shit game, um, which I think, in fairness, he, he did. Um so, out of look, character, certainly. Yeah, certainly out of character. Um, but, you know, it's way too soon to say that uh, one of the most consistent players last season and for the half season before has now become too old. Um, so, no, I mean, look, yes, be concerned about what happened, but let's see how he does in the next uh, few games. That would be I right agree with that entirely. I think he did have a poor game, and I thought, you know, Mane and Klein are a very quick pair on that side, and they gave him a lot of trouble, but I think he'll... Uh, I think it'll be right as rain soon enough. Let's hopefully put it down to yeah. some rustiness. All right, Johnny O'Neill at Johnny O'Neill wants to know why do they hurt me when all I do is love them and occasionally call them stupid pricks. <laughs> Valid question. I don't know why they do it to you, Johnny, but if it's any consolation, you're not alone. I think we're all feeling that pain right now. I know why. Why? They don't care. They don't care about Johnny. No, they're taking him for granted because they know. They know he he loves them unconditionally, that his love can't change. He can't sort of wake up tomorrow morning and find a new love that he occasionally calls stupid pricks. This is it. He's tied him for life. They take him for granted. They think that they can do what they want and that they won't suffer the consequences. That's why. They know he'll keep coming back. Yeah, and coming back. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Painful, painful but true. Sorry, Johnny. 
See you next week, I guess. <laughs> sort of, sort of unrequited love there, unfortunately. So we're back. We're back in such style. We are. We are. I've got one more question if you want. Come on, then. Let's have it. We might as well. We've come this far. All right. This is from uh, James Vincent McMorrow, top singer that he is. Great new song mm. out at the moment called uh, Rising Water. Not that I'm being plugged in anyway to say that. Uh, absolutely not. It is a great song. Um, but he wants to know, if you could be any kind of animal, what would you be and why? Also, why does Arsene Wenger hate us so much? <laughs> uh, if I could be any kind of animal. animal. Yeah. Ooh, I would be... I actually really... You hate dolphins, don't you? But I fancy being a dolphin. Yeah? Yeah, I like the idea of living in a world, water world, which is like three dimensions. I like the idea that I can go up as well as down, as well as side to side. Right. On the ground, you only operate in one plane of movement. Yeah. But I like the idea that you could exist in three dimensions. All right. Um... Why does Arsene Wenger hate us so much? Um, I don't know, because... Because he can. He can. He's, he's He can do whatever he likes. Mm. He, he's... Uh, why does he hate us? I think he hates us because we don't agree with him. He doesn't <laughs> like it when people don't agree with him, does he? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't think he hates us. I think he just... He just... Just does things his own way, doesn't he? I don't think he hates us, but he definitely thinks he knows better than us. And to an extent, he's right about that. <laughs> you know, he is probably a better football manager than either you or I. Yeah, or even maybe. James Vincent Morrow. I think but, so. But, but I don't think he could. I don't think. Right. Yeah, I don't think he could sing falsetto like James. Couldn't do. He's it got quite a beautiful as well. voice. Yeah, lovely cover of Higher Love. I really liked that. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. All right, well, is that it? I never chose my animal. What animal would I be? I think I'd be a killer whale so I could eat you. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Seems appropriate. Fucking dolphin prick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right, well, look, um, that's that's it. We've got Leicester next weekend, so we'll be here next Monday to talk about whatever the fuck is going to happen in that game. I mean, I'm so concerned already. I mean, the Jamie Vardy hat-trick goes grows more inevitable by the day. Oh, yeah. Actually, there was a question on that at AFC Wickham, who said <clears throat> who wanted to know inevit- inevitability level of Vardy scoring against us at the weekend. High. 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 Super high. Yeah. As high as you can imagine. Yeah. That high. Um, that is super high, I think. Yes. It's, it's, uh, did you see the miss? That he, he he perpetrated against yes. uh, Hull, and then he he punched himself in the face. He's saving all these goals for the Arsenal game. Yeah, yeah. But this, uh, I think this, maybe it should be a new Premier League rule that when a player misses uh, an easy chance, he has to, in some way, like punch himself in the face or karate chop himself in the kidneys or or cause himself some kind of damage. Maybe, but it'd be an awful shame for Louis Giroud to punch his face that often. <laughs> Shiru <laughs> would be beaten to a pulp at the end of one game. Man. By, <laughs> by the end of the season, he'd be a much uglier man. Uh, he'd look like Mickey Rourke after all his boxing years. <laughs> he would indeed. All he right. Indeed. Okay, well, look, um, I hope it hasn't been too painful for you to listen to all of this, but a problem shared is a problem halved. So if you then spread the word of this podcast to all your friends, you're having their problems and doing the world a great service. Um, I think. Is that how it works? Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's how it works. All right. Okay. Well, James, thank you as ever. We'll catch you on uh, next week's Arscast Extra. Arscast Regular will be here on Friday to look ahead to... Something. To something. Uh, So until then, have yourselves a good week. Bye. Bye.